Hello, and welcome to part two of the Scots Way Hay end of the year podcast. Um, we hope you've already listened to part one, which has been out for a while now, and which looked at the best films and the best books of 2016. For part two, I'm once again joined by Chris Ward and Wesley Shearer, and in this we concentrate on the best music of the year. Um, Scottish music and otherwise um, and really that's all there is to it so instead of me going on any longer I'm going to see you after this Hello everyone and uh, welcome back to what is the second part of our Best of 2016 um, podcast we've done films, we've put books to bed and now it's time for music, so Wesley, your year in music, if you will. Ah, where to start, eh? Um, I think, I want to talk about some Scottish stuff first, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think we should get, not get it out of the way, that makes it sound like it's not <laughs> important, but Do you know, there's a lot of other the, stuff to get through in yeah, this part. Sure, I think, sure. um, before I even talk about any Scottish albums, I just want to start by talking about Bossy Love, because Bossy Love are the greatest sign to hit this earth since I don't know so what. Good. They are so absolutely good. incredible. I mean, I'd heard a couple of their stuff, maybe kind of autumn time last year or whenever right. it was. I don't even know when they started bringing some of the stuff out, but it kind of interested me. I thought it was really good, and we DJed a um, Hogmanay party last year in Block, um, for Milk and Bossy Love played it and oh, oh my really? god what a way to see a year in honestly um, like the way that I'm, like so if anybody doesn't know Bossy Love is um, one of the guys from Dan and Aykroyd mm-hmm. and then there's Amanda who um, was in Operator Please which um, if no one remembers was the band that had the song song about ping pong alright oh, so uh, with also the like um, what was it I bet you know beef jerky has an aftertaste <laughs> So I remember listening to myself for the first time going, I really recognise that voice, where uh-huh. is it? And then it, three, four months later I read an interview and I was like, oh my god, that's a from Operator Please. Um, so they were an Australian band uh, and I think they just, they played a show together, Operator Please and Dan and Aykroyd and those two started writing together okay. and they just hit it off straight away. And yeah, it's got like the kind of kind of punch of kind of Missy Elliott but with like the kind of, I don't know, like the kind of seductive hooks of TLC it's just wow. like fantastic combination um, the way Amanda owns the stage when they play live is absolutely incredible um, when they play Sweat It Out it's just like you just can't I'm just standing there like moving my body and like the way that no like <laughs> gangly lanky white boy should ever move so <laughs> it's um, it's incredible they're just phenomenal um, every single time I see them live whether they play the whether it might be the same set, maybe the yeah. same songs, they're just like adding something new in there. There's just something subtle, whether it's a little harmony somewhere, whether it's a different type of performance that they do, and no matter how polished and professional that they that they sound, like they're still up there bursting with energy energy and breathing life into every single part of the songs that they play and perform. Like it's so infectious. I'm just left there like grinning from ear to ear every single time I see them I think Chris is a big fan yeah yeah I saw them uh, open for Arab Strap at Bars uh, which seemed like an odd fit because they don't release it you know Arab Strap doesn't seem like that much in common with Bossy Love I think it's probably more of their pals with yeah. you know, John or whatever from, from the Dana Croyd days or what have you but um, yeah I was absolutely blown away I'd never seen them live before and it was just an instant convert 
um, and immediately snapped up tickets for their gig at the Poetry Club, which was a fortnight after that, uh, which was incredible. It was one of these ones where it really felt like a moment, you know, like just seeing them in a room with a hundred people. Uh, they covered Pony by Genuine, <laughs> and um, the, the crowd just went nuts for it. I, I say the crowd, me. I, I, <laughs> I went nuts for it. But, um, yeah, like, remarkably faithful cover. Um, and yeah, just everything so charismatic, so energetic, so fun, uh, just amazing pop music. You yeah. know, um, really something that like feels that the local scene needs just now. You know, um, something like a hole has been filled. Totally. By, by a hole and a hole in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> Good R and B music, original R and B music. It's fantastic. Which twenty sixteen's actually lended itself to pretty nicely, which we'll touch on later. Um, yeah. Also, have aside. Going back to last year, I feel like I'm being a bit cliche again, but picking out, oh, look at my album of the year, the Scottish, mm-hmm. that happened to be the Say Award winner. Animated Disbarments was it. just... <laughs> <laughs> We're all agreeing uh, this world, like, just an absolute all-out assault on your senses. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, I mean, if you haven't listened to it yet, anyone that's listening, um, I recommend like scheduling some time for a lie down after it, because it's pretty intense. It's utterly... It's like nothing else. Is like, it? nothing else at all. It's, like, utterly exhausting in the most kind of incomprehensible way, but that makes it sound bad, but it's not. It's it's really, really rich and rewarding. Like, um, like the opening track is just like this kind of big from foreboding, brooding, menacing track, and then it goes into like one of my favourite pop songs of the year with yeah. beautiful harmonies. Um, yeah, like the arrangements and the orchestration of it is amazing. Yeah. I mean, like, you can't ignore it. You no, can't you can't it on and ignore it. No You've way. Got to it's very like, it. omnipresent. Yeah, in the room. And um, yeah, like give me electronic music blasted through a tube at any day because it's wild. I yeah. saw the Hugging Pine earlier in the year and it was like jolly rocking. But it was absolutely incredible. Her band on stage, so there's her behind like synths and samplers and stuff. She had a guitarist, she had a drummer, uh, she also had a tuba player and a cellist. And wow! Was the band and you're How like, much could the, yeah? Could the crowd fit in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the Hugging Pine of all places, like not not a lot of room. There's probably several fire hazards um, on stage. But uh, yeah, just absolutely like knocked out by it. it was the thing where I liked the album a lot before, but then after that, I was just like, this is this is incredible. This is something really special. And um, so yeah, I can really recommend checking her out live if anybody's maybe having trouble just listening to the album in isolation. I think it really opens up in a live context and really makes much more sense once you get to see it in that kind of setting. Yeah, unfortunately, I missed that gig. I was really hoping to go to it, so I was wondering how it actually translated live. So. Yeah. That seems like a good recommendation to maybe check it out if you feel it's a bit She's too much playing, to listen uh, to. CCA, that's right. Connections in February, yeah. so there's a there's a week plug. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kill Connections is very good this year. Okay. Yeah. Um, another Scottish album that was fantastic for me was um, Book Group's album, yeah. The Great Indoors. Um, just captures that sort of like um, Sebado kind of arches a loaf sound with the kind of whole payment thing thrown in, but like is injected with like full of kind of Scottish wit and that sort of like East Coast charm. Um, like what's got a like when you crack one off just to get to sleep yeah. and like the opening single like the opening track of the album it's um, I mean I've been fans of Book Group for ages yeah, um, yeah, me too. they play regularly with Campfires uh, and it doesn't know Campfires and Winter who are one of the ones I manage and um, they I've just kind of supported them ever since because they are such an interesting little band that um, just kind of really enjoy the music that they're playing and are always always great live as well, so I was really happy when yeah, the I'm album came out. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Although he's put away the megaphone though, ah, I think recently, which is a shame. <laughs> yeah, he used to grab the megaphone and go running through the crowd. Um, but yeah, they are they are great, and I'm really happy that their album was released and got some really good reviews. Mm, yeah. and, um, 
was just a, a success, I think. Um, again, kind of plug, but not a plug that's, that's definitely, it's a plug that's definitely worth it, was um, Cab Power's label mates um, on Olive Grove was Et's album, Homemade Lemonade. Fabulous album. Which I never checked out until about a month ago, I must admit. And um, like every song was just unexpected, it seemed to sort of fit perfectly on, on the album. Like as you kind of kept listening to it, you're just rewarded with these little different treats yeah. um, as you go on throughout it. It's really eclectic. There's a kind of full spectre vibe, an old school full spectre vibe yeah. to it, yeah. But she takes it and runs with it, it's great. And apparently it was like recorded in five days, but the production on it is immaculate. Um, I saw them play great. live actually at Olive Grove at a small um, night at Orin Moor and uh, I was more worried that that sound from the record, which as you say is, is incredible, clean, would translate to them on stage, but it was fantastic. Yeah, it did, yeah. It was really fantastic. Yeah, it's just like kind of recaptures pop music in a way, yeah. like yeah, it just kind of makes it as kind of warm and intimate and fun, but like experimental at the same time. It's like never ever a boring album, like that first track opens up in this kind of spectre beautiful glorious pop 60s pop stuff and then it goes straight into this hip-hop verse in the second song it's yeah. the album it's, it's crazy um so yeah that was kind of the big scottish stuff for me i mean adam stafford's taser revelations was great i feel like that mm-hmm. was um adam's one of adam stafford's strongest releases um so far i mean we've not even touched on fighting rabbits release painting of a panic attack which was a real slow burner for me but i think there's a lot in there that's mm-hmm. really rewarding um a lot of kind of 80s stuff going on there which is very yeah. unusual for, for Frightened Rabbit and I feel it's not been appreciated as much by a lot of people I know who like them but yeah. it's definitely a, a third and fourth listen I think for me um, there's a lot of 80s stuff in general kind of around it really is yeah um, that kind of covers the Scottish <laughs> stuff for me I don't know if Chris if, uh, yeah, yeah, like, I would add uh, to that I really liked the Happy Meal EP which came out this year their follow up to their Say Award nominated debut album uh, Apiro um, yeah again just continuing to be well, one of my favourites locally just really cool like French influenced electronic pop and on uh, Night School Records who are doing uh, yeah. a lot of good work just now they're also handling uh, L.R. Lean who finally put out her uh, long-awaited double album concept record about <laughs> Danny's Inferno this year, Circles of Lower and Upper Hell, um, which was kind of teased last year by a standalone disc called uh, Lower Hell, yeah. which mm-hmm. had some crossover with it. It was nice to see her finally put the full thing out. Again, like an exhausting listen, and not necessarily the most accessible of stuff, but if you're willing to put the work in, really, really strong. Um, saw her do it in full at the stereo earlier in the year as well, where she had like footage of you know, silent film depictions of hell behind her something oh, wow. again very intense <laughs> but um, again if you're willing to put in the effort and kind of brace yourself um, there's there's nothing else there's nothing else intense is the world which is coming intense, intense and depressed intense well, well, speaking of intense and depressed uh, we already mentioned the arm strap comeback from this year but I uh, thought Malcolm Middleton came back yeah, fairly yeah, strong yeah, this year yeah. as well so I agree. 13, which was uh, produced by Meow Meow which again seemed like maybe an, an odd fit him. but then he's kind of flirted with electronics he has his last album um, was Human Don't Be Angry yeah, album. Yes. Um, because this was the first solo album he'd actually put out under his own name in seven years I think a lot his last one before this was Wax and Gibbous which came out in 2009 uh, and I was mildly underwhelmed by it at the time because um, I, I was a fan of his first three solo albums so like quite a big fan of his first three solo albums and then Wax and Gibbous just didn't really do much for me and then after that I felt like he had some I don't want to say wilderness years because they did produce the Human Don't Be Angry albums, which are good. Um, but this really felt like a strong comeback for him, and Meow Meow felt like a really good fit for him as a producer. You know, just bringing out 
is kind of pop science and I've always been like peerless with melody and obviously you know, as well but just being able to kind of complement that with you know the synths and um, the, just those kind of settings really work for these songs yeah. you know so I was yeah I was very very taken with that um, and it's another one that again came out at the very beginning of the year and was made up of material that's even older than that but uh, Tough Love's album yeah. Resort yeah excellent really great as well just you know I mean, it was a collection of singles that have been going yeah. for a long time, a bit and like um, Hatful of Hollow or something, yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. You know, we kind of collect some EPs that they put out previously and uh, other kind of throwaway, throwaway material that never made it on an album. But yeah. But it shows how strong the stuff is because absolutely. it works as an album. It doesn't feel like yeah. it's been thrown together. Yeah, I really enjoyed that as well. So apparently the key uh, to get me to like your band this year is to have two words and make a second one be love. <laughs> that's the way to do it yeah. I think this was a, a really strong year for um, albums mm-hmm. there was a teenage fan club came back with a, a yeah. beautiful album a really beautiful they, I mean they can do no wrong in my eyes but they genuinely seem to can, they can do no wrong every album has something on it that just you know kind of breaks your heart and reminds you why you kind of fell for them in the first place and I know they've been playing live a lot recently and people going to see them um, and a few people have said, oh, I wish they would do some more from the early stuff. But they were kids, and that was the music that they made then. It's not, not, it would be a bit mad, I think, to see them doing now. They're not, you know, the Silk Pistols' filthy looker tour. You know, this is a band that's still making new and vital music. Yeah, it's like going to see Idaho and expecting Roddy to roll about the floor on his back. You know, it's not going to happen, so, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, Mogwai album, Atomic. Ah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That was uh, an interesting. I met someone who'd just been to see uh, the, the live version who couldn't speak yeah. to me because they were dead. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> very careful to take earplugs along. I went with a few people from work and took earplugs along because I knew, yeah, I think a few people were like, oh, it's in, it's in the playhouse in Edinburgh, so they won't be as loud, right? It's in the theatre. I was like, I don't think that's going to affect things greatly. And um, put in, I just had a wee cheap pair of like, foam headphones that I picked up at a gig before and put them in and like was like that wasn't that loud and then started clapping and couldn't hear myself clap so I was like oh right so these really do block out the majority <laughs> of what I was hearing um, so yeah I think they didn't hold back on the volume but again it's one that I don't know if it maybe worked as well for me uh, as an album in isolation but as a soundtrack like accompanying yeah. the film it yeah. works really well works yeah I think that's like, right and that's what it was made for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going back to the Scottish Album of the Year Awards. There was another couple of things there. Steve Mason's album, uh, Meet the Humans. Steve Mason, um, formerly of uh, the Beta Band, I think it's his best solo album to date, and that says something because I've liked his previous ones. But um, there was a kind of he's become a better singer, definitely, and um, the songs themselves were, were great, kind of downbeat pop songs. Um, it's, it's worth checking out. And what was the other one I wanted to talk about? It was Emma Pollock's In Search of Harperfield. Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, kind of reached that period in her career where she just makes really great songs and really great records. Um, but you spoke about it um, on Old Grove Records. Quite rightly so. I think it's an amazing album. Um, we said earlier on that Graham McCray Burnett's possibly... Man of the Year. If we went for Woman of the Year, I think it'd be Carla J. Easton, who's also she's behind Et, and she's also one of the people in Team Canteen, whose album, um, long-awaited album. I saw them play in twenty twelve, I think, and um, so it's been one to look forward to. And again, it's just a great pop album, but really 
warm, it's about family and it's about friendship. And, I mean, there we are, away from doom and uh, depression. It's a really uplifting record, as is Baby Lemonade, the right album. Um, um, and if you, if you need a lift, if you really need a lift, get um, a Teen Canteen's album. Um, it's just, a, it's called Say With A Kiss. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a joyous record. And I mean, joyous records are a good thing, I think. I do like my depressive stuff, but every now and again, you just want what you were talking about right at the beginning, some pop music that's going to fill the hole in your heart, I suppose. Um, I'm just talking about Olive Grove Records. Um, they're small, going back to talking about small publishers, Small indie labels, I mean, there's always been indie labels doing great things, but particularly this year, I felt to me, um, there was last, guys from last night from Glasgow, there was Ernt Media, who did Ernt Boy and Shards, there was Olive Grove, who always just, I mean, seeming capable of releasing anything other than great music. Um, and over in Edinburgh, there was Songs by Toad. Just quality music that just wouldn't find a home anywhere else, and I think that it's, I just hope that this can continue because the worry is, as with small publishers, is that they'll squeeze away on them and then eventually people decide, I just can't afford to do this anymore. But last night from Glasgow in particular, looking at different ways of trying to fund it, crowdfund it. Yeah. And what do you think about the way that you know, indie labels are doing at the moment, it's, especially being involved with them? Yeah, it's funny, I've been thinking about it a lot, actually recently because um, there was a really good article in the National the other day with uh, Lloyd from Olive Grove and He's talking about the way that um, when he, he initially got involved with Olive Grove, with Helena, before mm -hmm. Helena is now working at Blog Music, um, and back, that's back when I started getting involved in the music industry in general, um, whether it be through writing or through contributing pieces to other websites or whatever, um, it seemed to spring up when there was loads and loads and loads of blogs and yeah. other ways of, kind of accessing it online. and. There is a real like lack of of Scot Scottish music or, or anything kind of blogs and radio shows and stuff like that where there wasn't six or seven years no, ago there was so many of them yeah. so oversaturated yeah. that a lot of these people have now gone and like Lloyd to yeah exactly. to go and totally um, so because that's kind of dying off it's kind of hard for these indie labels to then kind of reach a certain audience but what is increasingly becoming apparent is that because. Like, I mean, you look at 2016 alone and the amount of music that's been released and mm -hmm. it's so hard to listen to everything and yeah. find everything that you want to hear. Yeah. So artists and indie labels are working more and more together now. Like, there's loads of ways where, you know, they're working with an indie label, but they're not working with an indie label because an indie label is giving them £1,000, £2,000 for their release. They're working with them. They're still doing it DIY. They're mm -hmm. still releasing themselves. They're still putting a lot of their own money in, but they're working with a label because they've got the passion, they've got the backing, they've got... The, the contacts and the media to, to get it out there and I think people are really paying attention to that so in a way it's almost kind of harking back to the sort of pre-internet age where people mm. are making their own DIY releases um, like, and that's the thing that seems to really be connecting with audiences like when uh, Michael Cassidy who I work with went out on tour earlier this year we spent like about three hours in his mum's kitchen making, making um, EPs just mm -hmm. by burning CDs and like you know, printing out stuff to stick on the labels and putting stencils onto stuff and those flew out at gigs like yeah. so all the actual albums that he'd had printed through a label before that he was on 
weren't the ones that were selling it was all the kind of handmade DIY stuff and that's the things that's really appealing to people right that's now like so kind of, exactly that's it it's the grassroots stuff it's the community it's the, the things that people think of people have actually touched and put yeah. you know love and kind of care into that's really starting to appeal with people because they can see that that's that's something that's got some sort of kind of stamp of you know quality on it goes back to what you were saying about um or the way that you maybe treat indie film yeah. is to get you know a small group of people that are really delighted when something goes out and talk about it, discuss it, and want to get the special editions and all of that kind of stuff. It seems if you get a group that feel almost like they belong, and it goes back to the kind of fanzines, even yeah, exactly, people exactly. writing fanzines mm-hmm. and handing them out at gigs. Um, because the, the thing is, the people who do that, who you know, do get really excited about like little stuff like that, it's I hate it's a phrase that I hate that I'm going to use it. You're going to use that, I can tell. But they're the ones who like drive the conversation. You yeah. know, they're the ones that like then, you know, when it comes to this time of year and you know when people are rounding up stuff, they're they're the journalists, they're the bloggers, they're the you know the the broadcasters, they're the people who like want to get out there and evangelize about this stuff and tell people about it because they've made a discovery and they think it's great and they think more people should be hearing it or seeing it or reading it or whatever it is. And that's why and we're sitting here today. Let's well, face exactly. It. I didn't I didn't want to you know draw attention, <laughs> that, but we like we're the target audience for yeah. all this kind of stuff. We're the guys nerd out over stuff like that mm-hmm. and and get excited about it and. Um, then hopefully other people who maybe don't have the time or the energy or whatever it is to devote to doing that throughout the year listen to stuff like this and say oh I should go back and catch up on this 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 and this here's all this great stuff I've missed out on and that's how records and films and books like build up success now it's like it's through word of mouth there's so much to take in in every form of media there's so much being written there's so much being recorded there's so much being filmed it's impossible to figure out by yourself like what is worth spending time with you know and it, it, it's handy to have people who you know can direct you in some mm-hmm. way when you're faced with a delusion so much stuff it also seems to be linked to the or maybe it's just coincides with the rise again of vinyl as something that it's not just um, you know collectors buying vinyls but people are, are buying a lot of stuff on vinyl again um, for, I think for that very reason, because they want to own something that's special, that's what you're talking about, making EPs, you know, you think about how um, Olive Grove, you know, put their stuff together, and, and the, their latest EP comes their beautiful green vinyl, um, last night from Glasgow stuff, I got the Boohoo single on a flexible uh, wristband, which turns into a USB, you know, just all these different ways, it, it, it's the creativity, not just in the music or the books or in the films themselves, but it's how you get the stuff out there, which I think is really interesting. Um, but what else have you been listening to, uh, Wes? Yeah, so that's kind of, that's the Scottish stuff kind of covered. As we kind of touched on, there's been so, so much good music this year. Um, I'm just having a look through the absolute, like, mountain of notes that I've got in certain things <laughs> and trying to pick out stuff. Um, Sit I back, mean, we may be here somewhere. <laughs> and... Like, I mean, in particular, like, women have just reigned supreme this year in terms of the output from, like, female musicians mm-hmm. um, with, like, a, a whole number of them, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a few minutes. Um, R&B has kind of seemed to kind of pull it back this year. Hip-hop's up its game considerably. Um, I could talk about a kind of certain few obvious albums here, um, like, you know, the clear album of the year that wasn't actually about Jay-Z cheating on her. And if you reduce it to that, then you're doing a massive disservice to what is probably one of the greatest pieces of art in recent history. Um, but I'm sure Chris will touch on that. <laughs> oh, <there you> <laughs> 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 
<laughs> at a later point in this conversation. Um, so I feel like I'm going to kind of touch on some other things that mm-hmm. might not be brought up, although I will start with David Bowie's Black Star yeah. because why can't, like, how can we not start yeah, with that? I mean, absolutely. So this is basically where all of 2016 began. Yeah, it's set a phone. Yeah, I, I, I really did. It's kind of the final tug of the thread that caused it all to unravel. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, Bowie dropping an album that was reportedly influenced by Kendrick Lamar and Death Grips at the beginning of the year with little fanfare, knowing it was going to be his last before leaving us all to ponder it after his death is sort of like the most Bowie thing ever to have happened. Mm. Um, and what a remarkable album it was. I what mean, a remarkable album. I mean, <clears throat> you shouldn't expect anything else from him, but considering how many albums he's made, not, you know, a lot of them, some of the greatest pop music ever made, some of them, you know, Glass Spiders. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> a, oh. uh, a, 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 you know, let's not rewrite history. <laughs> but, it was probably better than it had any right to be and just it was an incredible an album. Has three days ever changed an album so much? You know, oh god, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. From for everybody who went out and bought it or listened to it or streamed it or whatever on release day could then by the time Monday came around, you know, could then listen to it again to just have the context where it completely upended and yeah. I mean it's all there, you know, it's the kind of thing it's like going back and listening to Nirvana unplugged or something, it's like, well of course this was gonna happen. But at the same yeah, time, yeah, that's like, a good example. You know, yeah. the the benefit of hindsight, but um it's just so sad. I mean, he was going to get murdered by Courtney now. <laughs> <laughs> Ow! <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's good. <laughs> no, um, no, I, I mean, like, I mean, it was like a brazen lesson on first go, just because it was so kind of. I mean, the next day it was good, and it was a strong kind of comeback from. But to then take it to this level was it was already like okay, he's back, he's properly back, he's in a groove now. This is like up there with anything he's done in mm-hmm. the past. He, he's always back. This is great. And then to just oh, well, I actually woke up. So the the day that his death was announced to the world, the Monday morning when everybody found out, it was my first day back at work this year because as we were talking about off mic, I usually take the first week of January off. So I woke up on a cold. January morning, faced with the prospect of going into work for the first time in a fortnight, looked at my phone and saw David Bowie's dead. I'm like, oh, well, we're starting off as we need to go on for this year. Exactly. Um, And yeah, it was just listening to it on my walk into work that day, and it was just like, Jesus, how did. Of course. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, obviously, like, the timing of it was particularly, like, breathtaking you know that that he was able to release it so soon to actually happening but at the same time like it's it's just so steeped in it and it's so it seems so consciously crafted as like a farewell and like even before like even on the day it came out there were still interviews and you know reviews and stuff they were saying oh yeah he's talking about he's got plenty of material stowed away for future releases and that and you're like how how could he ever follow this mm. you know yeah um I don't think there's too much more to say about that. No, just yeah, there's not, but as I said, it's, you have to mention it right you at the very beginning because it, yeah. it did, as I said, set the tone for the rest of the year in more ways than one. Um, but the one I really want to talk about actually was one that I'd never heard of this artist before. I don't know if that's my ignorance, which I'm sure you'll both tell me probably is. Um, no. But completely, completely stumbled upon it out of nowhere. Um, and forgive me for my pronunciation because it's probably entirely incorrect, but... 
Elsa Suarez. Suarez. I would guess Suarez. Maybe. Yeah. I, again, I, I've only ever seen her name written down. Exactly. So S O A R E S. Are you familiar no, no, with her? No. Were yeah. you familiar with her before? I heard the name. I never really spent much time with her. Yeah. Myself, but yeah, no, yeah. It's essentially she's um, this Brazilian salmon musician who is according to Wikipedia 79 and according to another view 83 so somewhere between <laughs> that um, potentially in her 80s there's a lot of historical records which shows how old she is getting that historical records is, is used to refer to her age um, but yeah I stumbled upon this album which is called The Women at the End of the World and um, it was just astonishing like avant-garde samba potentially right. like um, I think I, yeah I think there's actually a term for it which is called samba suja which translates as dirty samba um, so like I didn't really know anything about her as I said um, there's a song on the album which is called Pra Fudor, which translates as to fuck and um, it's essentially about this 80 year old woman dominating in the bedroom right. um, in which she kind of screams a lot of kind of crude words over and over again in Portuguese while these sort of distorted post-punk guitars are on the background and there's some kind of antagonistic melody with these kind of free jazz saxophone like it's it's mad um, like yeah but I'm kind of exhausted just trying to describe what it is which is exactly <laughs> which is exactly, exactly how I felt the first time I listened to it um, except the first time I listened to it I had my headphones on while I was in work sitting at my desk and I had to fight like the uncontrollable urge of ripping my shirt off and running down St Vincent Street in some sort of like manic like rush of adrenaline because it's it's incredible, it really is. Um, so the album, obviously all the lyrics in Portuguese um, and there's still a lot more that I have to take from it because I don't speak Portuguese. Uh, so it gives me an excuse to sort of immerse myself in it again. Um, but from what I can gather, what I've read online, it deals a lot with themes such as gender fluidity the difficult and the difficult relationship that Brazil's got with sort of violence and specifically drugs, crime, prostitution, um, and a big, a big theme that runs through it is domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine it's quite a tough listen for a lot of people, not just because of the subject matter, which obviously you wouldn't, you wouldn't get from first listen without actually translating and looking into more of, but um, even just to listen to it can be quite tough, but it's really rich and vibrant and extremely rewarding. And I just found out today that she's playing Primavera, which I am so excited about because I didn't even, I completely missed her name on the lineup. Yeah. I just Googled it like at one o'clock this morning to see when her next show was because I missed her show at the barbecue. Well, didn't miss her show at the barbecue in London. I didn't know she was playing it. Yeah. And then I found out on her tour list that she's playing Primavera next year. So I think the barbecue show, she sat atop a throne with a dress of like metal that covered the entire thing. Like she's described on Wikipedia as the Brazilian Tina Turner, but I don't know how much of a the service that is to her amazing music. Yeah. But I've seen other like <coughs> other like reviews and articles describe her as being in line with like the kind of Brazilian equivalent of like a, a Billy Holiday or an Elvis Gerald or something. She, she's got that standing in Brazil as being yeah. like a kind of a almost a torch singer, you know, somebody that's that spans generations. Yeah. And then add Grace Jones into that, and that yeah. kind of gives you where you're kind of going with it. Um, but it is honestly a just remarkable album it really really is and I use the word remarkable again because it's it's very similar in a lot of way to Black Star in terms of the kind of the structure of it or the the lack of structure to it um, but it's really really worth checking out it's absolutely fantastic um, scrolling through some other stuff here oops what else have I got um, Anderson Pack was a great album for me um, Malibu which is just great I mean it's like how I would describe it to other people is sort of Miguel meets Kendrick Lamar with like the kind of spirit of Stevie Wonder 
Um, it's them some what more can you kind of ask for yeah, in that type of genre of music. Um, I saw them live for the first time. I think you were at the game, weren't you? Yeah. yeah, the ABC Two on a Wednesday night. Did not know how well it was gonna. Well, kind of didn't know how well it was gonna sell. Um, went into the gig and I've never seen. A, I'm not a big fan of ABC Two in general, to be no. honest. But I've never seen a crowd erupt and react was, to an audience in that way. It was in. I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen an audience react like that. Yeah. Again, it was absolutely unreal. And I'm very much a back of the back of the room with a pint person. Yeah, but yeah. Like me, and my girlfriend moved right down into that crowd because we were like, I need to be a part of this. Um, so for anyone that hasn't listened to him or seen him play live, he basically switches between doing kind of Miguel R and B type type stuff into kind of Kendrick Lamar style rap, um, and then decides to just go behind a drum kit and play some amazing like drum solos and uh, show off some really cool drum techniques while he's hitting out verse after verse. He's just great musician, great talent, still pretty young as far as I know. Got like a whole amazing career ahead of him. Um, I believe Chris touched on this on Twitter the other day about how he's included in the the BBC Sound of twenty seventeen or whatever it is yeah. list, which is crazy considering how massive he is. Out <laughs> with the year he's because it's not even the only album he put out this year. No, it's not. Yeah. With knowledge, the hip hop producer has right. no worries, um, which is also great. So he's had two great albums already this year. His big breakout came last year after he was featured on several tracks on Compton. Dope Ray's one wait with comeback comeback album. It was called a comeback album. <laughs> And yeah, he's just he's been absolutely dominating live shows this year as well. He's been turned up on tons of other people's albums as well, you know, and he's been like yeah, he's had like one of the biggest years imaginable for a new artist to have and yeah, the BBC are like, he keep an eye on this kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like top top notch, top notch ear of the ground work there. Oh, yeah, you know? totally. Um in terms of some other stuff, there's a few other things that I love that are on my end of year list that again I'm sure Chris will touch on it at some point, um, judging by the mixtape that you've had as well. Um, but I'd like to throw in a few that, although not necessarily in my top ten or anything, that are maybe quite interesting. Um, like Childish Gambino just brought out yeah. his most recent album there, which basically just departed from everything he'd ever done before um, in terms of, like, there's no hip-hop on it. Well, you know, there's no significant style of hip hop mm-hmm. on it that you've seen on his previous albums which has alienated so much of his fan base yeah. who aren't willing to stick with it which is fair enough I mean if it's not what they expect mm-hmm. from him then that's entirely fair um, but what I really enjoy about it is like like since George Clinton has I mean it's just a massive like homage to George Clinton and Parliament and Funkadelic yeah. I mean it can't be any more of a homage to it um, like, but since George Clinton's like one of the most sampled artists in hip hop it's kind of and hip hop was a lot to him yes. uh, it kind of as it does to a lot of other people, but um, it's kind of nice to see someone who's built his career on this kind of almost radio-friendly hip-hop um, kind of just introduce a lot of his younger fan base to this kind of to funk and soul stuff um, and not kind of really caring whether or not they actually engage with it. Um, Clinton's got a writing credit. Yeah, well. Does he actually? I'm not actually looked at the credits. So that makes a lot of sense, yeah. And I mean, it, I mean, it's not entirely original. It's not used like the Clinton influence in the kind of same groundbreaking way that Kendrick did on yeah, Simple Butterfly. It totally is, like, yeah. You know, but like, I mean, yeah. then like, does anybody else do anything the way mm-hmm. that Kendrick Lamar does? No. Yeah. So, um, but it's a really, it's a really nice album. It's a really enjoyable listen. I could have did, I could have done without the, the tropical song. Yeah, it yeah. just kind of came out it's of nowhere. But um, yeah, it's really worth listening to. Um, and my mum likes it, so that's kind of always a really, really good stamp of a, uh, sample of approval. It really is, because 
she's got fantastic music taste, but it shows that um, it's got a lot of kind of crossover appeal out with his just yeah. normal hip hop stuff. Well, if we're bringing the mum endorsements, my mum thought Anderson Pack sounded quite There nice. you go, so yeah. There you go. I also introduced my mum to her as well, so <laughs> you're a very cool mum seer in this podcast. Absolutely. Um, I'd also like to t- uh, take this chance to kind of rectify my glaring omission from last year, okay. which was Carly Rae Jepsen's emotion. Ah. Oh, look at that. Double, Double fist, fist pump. pump. <laughs> <laughs> across the room. Because I get so swept up in a tornado of chat last year that yeah. I didn't get around to mentioning how criminally underrated emotion yeah. was. Yeah. Um, I mean, that also goes into the kind of marketing side of things that we were talking about earlier. Like, that was not marketed well at no, all. I really agree. poorly marketed. Um, but it was easily in my top ten last year, yeah. and she, I didn't listen to any until you started yeah, raving about it. And I went, really? And then I went, I went ah, how great is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she brings she brings up her follow up this year, which is like just chock full of bangers. Like it's yeah. <laughs> absolutely it's fantastic. Artists from the same session because she wrote like apparently like they went in the studio and cut like about two hundred tracks, like two hundred different songs, and they just picked the best ones for emotion. That was the process behind it. So emotion side B, yes, yeah, exactly. released this year was just the next 10 best ones you know and yeah it's, it's great so great and um, to kind of contrast that with in terms of poor marketing on a bigger scale release with um, something that's not in my top probably not even made my top 20 but it's still an interesting album for a couple of reasons um, which I think kind of brings us nicely into some different kind of topics of conversation mm-hmm. was um, Cardinal by Pingrove right. which is basically like um I don't know how to describe it, kind of like if Conor Aberth's supergroup, kind of Monsters of Folk, was fronted by like Jesse Lacey from Brand New and Andy Hull from Manchester Orchestra instead of um, Jim James and um, yeah. M. Ward. Um, I found it quite an interesting album, like particularly how it's made its way onto like a lot of end of year lists yeah, yeah. without much fanfare around its release. Um, like not because I don't rate it that it's not released really my that's not in my top albums it's just because I've not spent enough time with it to really connect with it mm-hmm. um, but I think it's a nice contrast to show how it's reaching um, a big audience and getting onto a lot of these end of year lists without much put into it because it's from the kind of same label uh, I think it's Run For Cover which puts out like Basement and Tiger's Jaw and um, Modern Baseball Self Defence Family stuff like that um, but I also wanted to include it because uh, it was like a recommendation to me a couple of weeks ago from um, the wonderful Lorenzo who owns LP Records um, and he is just like an absolute joy his shop has just been a fantastic addition to like the Glasgow community and music because without sounding completely cheesy and ridiculous and giving a plug to someone but it's a great little record shop um, someone who's really passionate about music and really curates what he sells in his shop and that is one of the things that he put me onto, and I think Chris just said yeah, the same. Yeah, absolutely the same. Like I probably wouldn't have listened to it without um, like persistently recommending it. You know, it's one that he was always out in the rags. He was plugging it like on social media and stuff. It's like we finally have this in. Like it's great. You should listen to it, all that kind of stuff and just get in the chat room behind the counter and stuff like that. Like yeah, it's like can't speak highly enough of it as a shop. But totally. yeah, I really like the album as well. Kind of Americana emo kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, really strong. Emo's had a pretty strong comeback the last couple of years. Like, yeah, to a degree that's more respectable than it was maybe about ten years ago <laughs> when it was like you know Panic at the Disco and oh, My oh. Chemical Romance and stuff. You know, it's Pop more album like, this year. Yeah, it's, it's more the kind of like pre. That way, you're talking more your like American football, sunny day real estate yeah. kind of emo rather than you know the, the kind of the pop, popier side of it. Um, but yeah, it's had a pretty, pretty strong couple of years, and yeah, the, the, um, I think the Cardinal record, like a Pine Grove record, sorry, fits in neatly with that. 
Yeah, um, and I think probably the last thing I'll touch on before I'm sure Chris will take the lead, and this will, I think this will move nicely into Chris because <laughs> we may have different opinions on this. But um, will we can you S like a Pablo? So, like, I'm going to put it out there. I don't, okay. I don't love this record. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, let's be honest, it's a bit of an incoherent mess. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Like one minute I think it's kind of like going somewhere that I really like and then it kind of yanks me straight back out of it with some sort of like kind of frat boy lyrics about a bleached asshole or something and then I'm just kind of like just takes me out of where I thought it was going to yeah. go um, but like when you pick it apart though for all, all of its flaws and all of the things I don't like about it that I, means I don't like it as an actual album overall like um, I mean like let me like I'll be honest here I've not been I wasn't a fan of Jesus I've not really mm-hmm. been a fan of Kanye West since like Dark Fantasy to be honest um, but when you pick Life of Pablo apart, like there are so many really great ideas on there that are kind of worth returning to, um, like over and over again to kind of appreciate these little elements of it. Um, like so on my first listen of it, I'm kind of sitting there, like frustrated at how disjointed and kind of uneven the record that is. But I was also kind of taken aback by a lot of the imagination that was on it and it's kind of in like each little corner of of the album. So in a way, it's like the most can you release yet and. For that, as much as I don't enjoy it, I kind of respect it because <laughs> I'm kind of like, he's not trying too hard with anything. He's yeah. literally just went into the studio and made something he made. My problem with Jesus was that he tried to attempt this kind of industrial DIY thing that, mm-hmm. that I felt kind of was, he phoned it in a little bit too much. Whereas this just seems like really he just went into the studio and created something that he wants to create. Right. It might have been a bit of a shambles in my opinion, but um, that's kind of stuff that he should be making. And like great artists don't make great art all the time. No. Um, like, but they've got a conviction in their own ideas, which is something that I kind of actually can appreciate of him. Um, like, so like, it's kind of more for me that album more of a kind of like murky portrait of an artist who's kind of struggling to deal deal with these not newfound but like overwhelming celebrity status of the past year for more than one reason. Like more, more than one reason, it's obviously. It's a bit of a of, psychological. It mess, really, really is, yeah. But I think that also marks it as an important. Mm-hmm. important piece of work in the kind of can you canon if you like um, and whether that's kind of for the good or the bad is yet to be seen I feel like this might be a stepping stone to something great to come straight after this um, whether that's next year or the year after um, but the way I kind of compare it to it is Chance the Rapper's album Colouring Book for me is what I felt like Kanye West wanted to create right. but didn't quite nail it and Chance the Rapper did Obviously, Chance the Rapper's taken a lot from Kanye. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's like a lot of Chance the Rapper's colouring book sounds like early Kanye, but um, it's a nice comparison. It was a very interesting release. It's not made my top ten yeah. or twenty albums this year, but I um, appreciated it for what it was worth, and there's a lot to talk about on it. So I will hand that over to you, Chris. Uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned Chance there at the end there because those are actually my one and number one and two albums of the year. Like Chance is my favorite album of the year, uh, colouring book. So to an extent, I, I guess you're not wrong. And that <laughs> accomplished something that Kanye didn't. Um, but I, I think my, my Kanye loving credentials are firmly established on this podcast. So uh, <laughs> you like have away with anything? Um, I, I, I think like the thing with life, Pablo is like Wesley's right. Is like it's a mess, uh, and it's the least consistent thing that he's put out since graduation I would say like everything else regardless of like whether like you said you, you weren't into Jesus but it did have a consistent sound yeah, it all did, the way yeah. my beautiful dark twisted fantasy has that really lush orchestrated you know like absolute maximalist thing all the way through um, 808s and Heartbreak has the kind of proto Drake you know emo R&B sad robot stuff going on <laughs> um, 
this is everything at once. Like, it goes from one to the other, like, all over the place. There's no one consistent thread going through it other than that kind of maybe element of, like, gospel stuff that he talked about beforehand that, as you say, Chance really took and run with. Um, and, but again, like, I think, well, I, what, what I kind of look for from artists that I like in any discipline, or all I really ask from artists in any discipline, whether it's film, music, books, whatever, is um, just, like, an accurate picture of where they are just now and what's going through their heads and I think this is absolutely representative of mm. where Kanye is just now as an artist yeah. and as a person like I mean I don't know like the extent I mean I know there's that whole thing about like don't let outside factors influence your opinion or work of art and all that trying to treat it in isolation but I think with Kanye it's increasingly difficult to do that because so much of his personal life is on display in his art and especially in the last <clears throat> month or so uh, after he was hospitalised um, for mental health issues and stuff it's been clear for much of this year that something's been up, you know, like he's had these kind of manic spells, whether it's like on the online, on Twitter or something, whether it's, you know, at concerts, whether it's going on rants, and that's always been a part of him, and that's always been part of his appeal, and it would be like kind of, you know, wrong to deny that a large part of the appeal can be saying, what's he going to say next, what's he going to do now? Um, and a lot of the times that's, you know, been a good thing, you know, there's the whole thing, like, the, the famous Hurricane Katrina moment where he's like, George Bush doesn't care about black people, it's like, you get these incredible moments where it's like, nobody else is willing to say yeah. it at that time, and he's willing to go there, and he's willing to put it out there, Um, you also get stuff like, you know, recently him saying he would have voted for Trump if he had voted, you know, which I think the key part there, in my defence, is if he had voted, he didn't actually vote for Trump, <laughs> <laughs> so before we slam him for, for saying that, he didn't vote for Trump, um, but... Yeah, I, I think you brought up as well that um, if, if it was to encapsulate the life of Pablo in, in one moment, it would be um, Father Stretch My Hands Part 1, which is the second track on the album. It starts with some of the most purely beautiful music that Kanye's ever put out. You know, this kind of gorgeous, warm, soul sampling, gospel-y stuff about beautiful, you know, beautiful morning outside. It sounds like heavenly. And then the first line is, if I fuck this model and she's just bleached her asshole. And it's like, can <laughs> <laughs> That reminds me, I remember uh, um, there was an interview with Johnny Marr, and uh, he said he thought the best thing he ever, the most beautiful guitar thing that he ever did, um, and he was really pleased with it, this is just gorgeous, and he brought it to Morrissey, and Morrissey put the lyrics, some girls are bigger than others over it, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it sounds a little, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but except... Morrissey was deliberately hijacking yeah. Marvel as Kanye's doing it to himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like that link, I, like, I went along with the, the launch of the album, the, the live stream of cinemas. I mean, we were talking earlier about the, the whole cinema events. Like, that's the one that I went to this year was the first listen of the Kanye album. He premiered it at Madison Square Garden. And he wasn't performing. He literally took his laptop, <laughs> plugged it, a jacket of the lining, and hit play while him and 2 chains and Frank Ocean were all like, you know, <laughs> dancing along at the site. Um, and he had like, um, it was a fashion show as well, so he had his latest, like, you know, models up on stage wearing his latest clothes. Um, but the audience erupted at that line in Father Search My Hands because it is so, like, obviously, if you're going along with that, if you're going to pay like 15, 20 quid or whatever to go that, you're going to be a fan of Kanye. And the, um, when that line about the model came out, everybody, like, how, like, cinema erupted because it's like, that's, that's him. Yeah. That's exactly him. Um, and yeah, it, the entire album's like that. I think it's got some of his absolute peaks. I think it's got some of the best stuff he's ever done on it. I also think it's got some of the worst stuff he's ever done on it. Which but, kind of makes your point about yeah. it makes a great thing because yeah, it's, it's extremes. Yeah. It's extremes. Yeah, and um, I think like 
the way it was released where it's I mean it's still only available to stream I, th- I think you can maybe download it finally from his website but it's still not had a physical release um, presumably so he can continue to go back and tinker with it and add to it and I don't think any of the tracks that he's added since his initial release have added much to it at all I don't think like St. Pablo or, or anything like that have really added much to the experience of the album I still just think of them as like the bonus tracks that you never listen to at the end of the CD um, and it might have been a stronger album if he hadn't even gone back like the, the Madison Square Garden album finished about four tracks shorter than what eventually went up on streaming services and I think if he'd left those four tracks off it might have, I mean I really like those tracks well I, a lot of them in isolation but in terms of the flow of the album it felt like it had a natural point to finish that and then just added another yeah, four tracks in for the sake of it so I don't know what like unlimited capabilities for making your albums as long as you like free of the constraints of the CD is going to benefit Kanye in the long run <laughs> because he doesn't know when to say no yeah. and doesn't know when to stop himself but um, but yeah I still think again a fascinating mess but again if you're invested in his career and like his position at the forefront of like contemporary pop or R&B or hip hop or whatever you want to call the meeting point wherever Kanye is just now then it's, it's, it's crucial to his and I mean, just touching on someone who else who passed away this year, Prince. Yeah. You know, there was a period where he was making music that, um, you know, there was great stuff in it, but there was also some really challenging and unusual things in it. And uh, they, I mean, I don't want to make the comparison too much, but I think there is some kind of comparison. Yeah, in totally, terms yeah. of their output. In terms of like just being a one man, like, yeah, you know, everything. the fashion, yeah. the, the, you know, everything yeah. that goes along. Entire creativity and control over control, it. Which can be a good thing. Element of it can be a bad thing. Music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah. Sorry, no, no, sorry, I was just going to say, but yeah, the chance of the rapper album really like, took a lot of the same influences and elements. And they, they appear on each other's albums, like the opening tracks of each other's albums, like Chances on the opening track of Kanye's album. Kanye's on the opening track of Chance's album, but yeah, it feels like a fully coherent, fully realised, you know, piece of work from start to end. It's not patchwork. It's completely consistent, and it's just a blast of absolute joy. Yeah. You know, which again, you're saying something that was needed this year. Um, I'm gonna try and stop us going into a third hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Chris, yeah. kind of briefly name check some of the other stuff that okay. you've been listening to. Through um, so uh, well we already Leslie made reference to it, but Beyonce's like mm-hmm. it's wow. incredible just as it again, was incredible as it work like again as like the film that went along with it just as a whole statement and I mean he's right to reduce it to like just being about Jay Z is ridiculous because there's so much going yeah, on it absolutely personal stuff political stuff um, just this really felt like the year that uh, a lot of the issues that came out of like Black Lives Matter really permeated the mainstream and really came through in pop this felt like a year when a lot of pop got political again yeah. you know we can have the biggest artists on the planet coming out with stuff like this and making these explicitly political statements and political works of art that aren't hectoring that aren't standing up in the lecture it's not like Ken Loach doing the Wind That Shakes the Barley and stopping the film midway through for a literal lecture for 10 minutes on the rights and wrongs of republicanism it's like it's making it part of their art and just you know presenting it to, to their audience and be like take it or leave it this is how I feel about this um, so yeah Beyonce uh, did that in magnificent style I think. I think it's just an absolutely staggering piece of work start to end and another full album and really satisfying album to listen to start to end where everything flows into each other perfectly and then reaches a great you know and emotionally satisfying conclusion at the end as well and then Lemonade actually made the the company in film made end of year film lists, mm-hmm. which yeah. is mm-hmm. astonishing yeah. to think. Yeah. yeah, 
um, and related, literally related to Beyonce the Solange album, oh, um, yeah. a seat at the table, which again does similar things like politically and personally, oh, um, with uh, maybe a little more restrained than Beyonce, as it doesn't go quite for the you know the big hooks in the way that Beyonce does or like big pop singles is it's very delicate and um, refined. I, I would say refined is perfect way to describe yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's almost elements of like mini Ripper in her voice, okay. and you know, kind of classic seventy soul, but again, quite spare, certainly in comparison to Beyonce, which is, is all out, you know, mm-hmm. with big guest stars and everything. I think there like there aren't as many guests on Solange's album. It's a little bit, a bit more low key, but again, covers broadly similar territory. Um, and another, and again, another seal of approval from a mum on <laughs> Solange, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, you to get your mums on next year. Yeah, yeah. Take these seats. Um, yeah, you were saying as well, it's, it's been a super strong year for hip hop and R&B generally. Like, um, uh, Tricol Quest's coming yeah, yeah, yeah. is I, I, so I, much better than anybody had a right to Absolutely, like, I like, totally agree. Like, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, this is some kind of reissue of the... Yeah, and then, I mean, because that's the other, like, I mean, after Boy and Prince, I think the, the, the death that kind of affected me most is your spite from Tripod Quest. Yeah. They mm-hmm. died earlier in the year. Um, well, that was the one two punches. They died within a day of each other. Uh, Fife and uh, Gary Shamblin died within about a day of each other this year. And it's that way where, like, the, the, there's a documentary about Tripod Quest came out a couple of years ago, um, which portrayed Fife and Q Tip's relationship as fairly fractious. And it was one of the upsetting things about Fife's death was wondering if. That was still the case when he died, and mm. they, you know, reconciled fully if they were because they performed, uh, on American TV last year behind the the reissue of their debut album, and it was great. Like they absolutely killed this performance. I think it was on Jimmy Fallon. Uh, they did kind of kick it live, and it felt like things were back on an even keel. But there's still that kind of like, oh, they haven't announced the tour or anything. They were okay, and then obviously Fife died, and they came out and said, oh, we'd actually started working on this album. You know. In eighteen years since your last one, you know I don't know if this is a good idea. Yeah. Like, there's not that many people so far transitioned successfully from middle age in hip hop. Like, even Jay Z hasn't mm-hmm. made a, a great album in over a decade. You know, um, but it's astonishingly good. Like, so so great. Like, easily able to be spoken of in the same breath as any of their earlier albums. Like, really tremendous. Um, from like that, which is a full hour long, to you know, by veterans to something something here that's a little bit more concise Vince Staples EP oh, yeah, it's great. incredible um, I think that's a big, been a big problem with hip hop over the last 20 years is the sprawl it is, it is like people yeah. kind of like because they, they can fill a CD that they have to but every album has I to be like 80 right. minutes long or whatever Prima Donna is like 20-25 minutes just goes through sustains the concept start to end Vince Staples put out a double album last year so I suppose it's kind of a um, you know the flip side of that um, but he's great really promising up and coming uh, um, outside of hip hop, I think I've mentioned pretty much everything else in my top ten at this point. I really love that uh, singing song by Kevin Morby, mm-hmm. an American singer songwriter who used to play bass in Woods. I think we ever listened to them, kind of psych folk band. He also made a very good album this year. Um, but Kevin Morby's solo work draws more on kind of late sixties Dylan as opposed to like post electric Dylan, like Nashville Skyline, John Wesley Harden era, maybe like early Leonard Cohen, some Lee Hazelwood. And uh, it's that kind of mystical, weird Americana thing that I really love and is kind of catnip to, I'm sure, a few folk listening to this too. But yeah, uh, I love that chip. Yeah, it's <laughs> really, really, really great. Um, saw him playing broadcast earlier this year as well, and he was he was one of the best live shows I've seen all year. He's really, really one to keep an eye out on. And still really young, I think he's only like 26 or something, 20, mm-hmm. 26, 27. Um, yeah, really, really solid. 
Um, I'm going to name just one uh, album that's non-Scottish because um, you were saying earlier on about great music from my women this year. Um, it's an album by uh, Nico Case, Laura Veers and KD Lang together right. and three fantastic artists in their own right and together they've just made this amazing beautiful melodic record and I'd forgotten what a great singer KD Lang is. She's great. I saw her like I used to work at the concert hall just as an usher and um, KD Lang came and played at Celtic Connections one year and you know like it's that kind of thing with KD Lang you have a kind of certain preconceptions of her or whatever yeah. you know she's quite safe, quite comfortable, like middle-aged, you know, like you kind of get an idea. Nora Jones-ish. Yeah, that kind of thing, but she, she put on a great show. Yeah, she's so charismatic. She's such an incredible voice, and yeah, it really kind of won me over to her. Um, and yeah, the, like that album was, was tremendous. Um, and another one, actually, when I remember, Lou Rhodes' solo album, um, Lou Rhodes, who's been Lamb, again, what you would expect, kind of um, electronic Folktronic music, let's go for folktronic for that, which is a terrible term. But there's three albums I quickly want to mention that I haven't earlier on. Um, Starless's album, which is a kind of collaboration uh, by Paul McGeehan, who was in Love and Money, um, with some, some of the best, just some of my favourite singers, including um, Paul Buchanan, as everyone know, um, a Chris Thompson from The Baders, um, Marie Claire Lee from the Lotus Project, and also um, Gwen, I can't remember her second name now, who used to be in Wild River Apples uh, back in the day, who hasn't, as far as I know, sung on anything for a long time. But basically, he's made this, sounds quite like Craig Armstrong stuff, it's quite um, cinematic, and he's written these beautiful songs and just got some of his best singers in to sing them, which is a fairly simple premise, but he makes it work really well. The other one in a band called Modern Studies, yeah, who are on um, Song by Toad as well, and uh, their record, uh, it, again, it was one that was kind of forefronted during the year, they were releasing singles kind of uh, at a time, um, including one of my favourite ones called uh, Dive Bombing. Um, uh, it's just, it's a, it's, wonderfully restrained, old-fashioned, almost that old-fashioned through that terrible term, but you know that it's it's very civilised, let's put it that way, it's a really civilised um, record in, in, I would say, the, the um, best popular, best possible way. Um, Great to Swell is the name of the album, that's what I was desperately looking for, the name <laughs> of the actual album. And the final one is one I just heard last month, and it's by a guy called Lomond Campbell, who was in Found. Oh, yeah. um, and it's his solo record called Black River Promise, and uh, he's kind of moved out of the city. He's taken over this old kind of dilapidated old schoolhouse, and he's doing it up, and he's living there, and he's making his music there. And uh, he's made this album, which is just kind of epic. It's It reminds me of... Um, Nick Drake or um, John Martin or, or even a little bit like Astro Weeks, a kind of darker Astro Weeks. It's real pastoral music, you know. It's, 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 this is someone who's obviously had enough of the city and has gone out and, uh, to the country and it's really um, affected the, the, and affected the music that he's making. Um, yeah, Black River Promise by uh, Lomond Campbell is a highly, highly recommended. It's got amazing string arrangements on it. Incredible. Um, so, time's cracking on. <laughs> I'm going to give you one thing each for gig of the year. 
that you went to. Oh, Ali, Ali. And you get lists and lists. Ali. Okay, top five. He's looking at me because he expected me to be there, even though I had a ticket <laughs> and I had to work and couldn't go. Oh, no, and no, I will no. never ever live that down, missing that what potentially one of the greatest shows of the greatest tour of all time. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, it was amazing. It was absolutely everything you would expect and hope like a show of that magnitude and scale would be. It was like I think I was in my years at this moment. Yeah, cause... Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, Springsteen was at Hamden as well. Yeah. my two big. Kevin Morby I mentioned was amazing Anna Meredith I also mentioned was amazing I think I've mentioned most of my gigs of the year so far uh, Arastrap at the Barrowlands what finally, a show finally getting the chance to see them I was uh, they broke up about two years after I was finally legal again in most venues that would like to see <laughs> Arastrap so I never really got a chance to see them first time around even though I've loved them since I was a teenager and it was yeah it was it was great to actually finally finally get to see them and um, they played one of my requests in the box yes amazing. they played blue fantastic yeah. <laughs> um, the in keeping with that kind of era of Scottish music Bell and Sebastian at the GU debate oh, yeah, yeah. best I've ever seen them they oh really tremendous yeah again maybe just because the debate chamber is such a smaller venue and you're maybe used to seeing Bell and Sebastian at this point but set list was perfect like everything you could want it to hear um, they were on great forum. They had like strings and brass with them and everything. It was uh, it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, I think oh god, I'm gonna remember stuff. That's, <laughs> well, well, that's why we've got but, 2017. Yeah. <laughs> As Wesley's done, come back and go. Just remember last yeah. year. I forgot to say that. Um, for me, you touched on a couple of them. Obviously, Bruce Springsteen is is one of them. Arab Shah was phenomenal. Was really impressed by how. The took, a, took the full band set up and really ran with it and it made me appreciate Arab Strap in a whole different way from not just a lyrical point of view with really simple song structures but to how incredible it sounded potentially one of the best sounding gigs I've ever been at in Barrowlands um, one of the ones that stood out for me though was um, I went to see Refused this year um, and it wasn't Refused that actually impressed me it was the support Anna Von Housewolf who is like nothing else I've ever seen or heard. Um, I think I described her as like the sound of Kate Bush being dragged to hell. Um, <laughs> so there's a little bit of sun in there, there's a little bit of swans. Um, there's sort of like, yeah, there's this kind of like eerie sense of dread and forebodingness that kind of really kicks in and like I could feel the, the, the hairs on my body stand up and end. Um, I was actually sweating at points because it was so intense an experience. Wow. I mean, it's in the garage, which is a terrible venue. Yeah. And, um, She's only supporting someone, but she's brought her own light show. The sound was phenomenal, completely ear-shattering and a totally physical experience. Um, like, yeah, phenomenal. I'd advise anybody to check her out, not just listen to her album, because her album's really good and interesting, but if you can get the chance to see her live, really do. She is um, from Gothenburg in Sweden, yeah. so she's great. Um, I went to Lisbon this year to go to a terribly named festival called Superbox Super Rock because it was only 70 euros and had a it's really a concentrated <laughs> really concentrated lineup. but um, got to see Kendrick again for yeah. the first time since he brought out Twimper Butterfly and that was like nothing else I've ever seen the last time I seen him um, was great but this time the whole crowd from front to back in, in an indoor arena were just completely going for it and an wow. amazing show with such a stripped back um, stripped back visuals but just worked really really well also saw Iggy Pop at the same festival at which point my girlfriend had left halfway through to go and see Mac DeMarco because she loves Mac DeMarco um, and I stayed till the end and um, ended up in a mosh pit to uh, search and destroy ah. she's not been in a mosh pit for ages so I like, just came back like 
You're like, how was it? I'm like, oh my god, there was just a mosh pit to like one of my favourite ice socks songs ever. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so that was great. Um, Brian Wilson with Al Jardine of all people or yeah, was just great. I thought that was going to be terrible, even though I was really looking forward to it, and it was blew me away. Earth, Wind, and Fire was really fun actually oh, this yeah, year. NC Seventeen Fire Live was pretty good. Um, saw Billy Joel this year, which was weird. Yeah, um, weird but good. Really, really good. Like yeah, it was such a one of those shows where it's like, I mean, it was just clearly catered to older people. It was mm-hmm. so cheesy. It's like, do you want to hear this song or do you want to hear this song? And then everybody applauds and then it's great. Mm-hmm. But um, then you pick a song and you'll play that one. But it was just amazing to see like this whole Wembley stadium and seeing like every generation in front of me, like young girl from mm-hmm. about eight or nine singing every single song of the encore with her mum and her brother and her sister and her granda. And it was just kind of reminded you why music is so important to so yeah, many people. Absolutely. It was great. Um, LCD Sound System were fantastic this year, even though they played to a tiny little crowd at Tina Park. Um, saw The Cure and The Twilight Sad this year as well, which was out of this world. Um, so there's been a lot, a lot of really big shows this year. And John Grant at the concert hall. I was going to um, mention John Grant. That's what was, I mean. was fantastic. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um, love John Grant. Um, First of all, I want to make a correction. I said great to swell for the Modern Studies album, didn't I? I should have said swell to great. <laughs> That's why I was trying to check. I couldn't remember which one was which. Oh, God. Anyway. You love a swell. Great. You know, it makes it, makes it great, completely great different. Well. I'm great to swell. Swell to great, and it really is worth checking out. Um, right, so quickly, um, I'm going to say John Grant, as you've said that. I'm going to say um, um, James Yorkston. John Thorne and said, you can, um, Yorks and Thorne can at the Tron uh, Theatre, um, which was very, it was, there was, I mean, there was jazz, there was Yorkson's, they covered Ivor Cutler, um, there was some amazing um, a musicianship there, a, which, uh, I mean, I didn't know what to expect, I, I, I heard a couple of tracks off the album, um, but a, Yusuf Khan, or Sahil Yusuf Khan, plays an instrument called the Sarangi, which is kind of, I'm not even going to explain it, a very complicated <laughs> thing to do. And is this incredible singer and huge uh, and at home. Um, and yeah, but the three, these three incredible music, musicians together, just and in the Tron, which was a great place to see them. Um, Catherine Joseph uh, um, was at the, a venue I hadn't been at before, the Macintosh Church. Mm. which is up in Mary Hill, an amazing place. She was amazing, as you would expect, and everyone just went mad for her. You know, so respectful, and then the, the twist on that. Um, it, as we mentioned, playing at Oren Moore, and then just recently there was the launch of um, the Olive Grove uh, Records EP at the end of the year one, which was at the Glad um, Cafe. It is something to have been... And everyone who's on, this is four-track EP, and Joe Mango, State Broadcasters, The Sons, who I was really pleased to see live, because I love The Sons, and Call to Mind all played their songs, and that was a great night. Um, just, as I say, Olive Grove don't release bad music, as far as I'm concerned. Um, anything you'd like to plug? Because I know uh, there's, you've got a bit of music that has uh, come out today, is it? Yeah, uh, yesterday Catfires and Winter's new single, Free Me From The Howl, just came out, um, which is off their debut album, Finally, finally released, which I think, I think last, year, last year, my turn of phrase was, 
finally going to happen next year, which is now actually next year. Um, so that's happening. That's coming out in February. It's called Ischemia. We released Kopfkino a couple of months ago, which was this kind of long, meandering, crowd rocky style track, which I absolutely adore. And um, it's the opening track in the album, followed by our single Free Me From The Howl, which is an amazing video by um, a guy called Stuart Edwards. Yeah. Kind of documentary style video, um, just following around kind of loads of older generation people in Glasgow, yeah, just yeah, having a really yeah, good time. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. So that album's coming out next February, and um, Michael Cassidy is in the studio just now working on some stuff which will hopefully come to fruition next year and he's headlining King Tut's in February oh, also um, coming back with full band and I think we're going to add some keys back into the mix again so yeah um, exciting but busy time for Good. myself Chris anything you want to plug? No <laughs> No end of year shows? Uh... No no end of year shows we haven't played since March this year We've, uh, our front man is pursuing a comedy career uh, so uh, <laughs> and the, the band stuff seems to be put on hold. In fact, you saw him last night. He did a solo set last night oh, okay. for opening for Leaves. Which you uh, said this is Jack James. Exactly. Yeah. It's like no, this isn't Jack James without the other two band members. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Um, your well, solo, project, your solo project. Your solo side project. Paul Stanley solo project. Side project forthcoming. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll see potentially something something else on the go next year. But no, nothing for now. For now, just. Sticking to tour. Thank you. <laughs> and very well as well. Um, Ian, any gigs coming up? Um, I'm playing I'm playing down in Greenock on Saturday, um, but I think I would rather avoid um, plugging that and instead plug the St John's Ambience who are playing at Tuts on the 16th of December. Fantastic. So uh, the guy who plays drums in my band also drums with St John's Ambience. And they are top notch. And really eclectic taste. The last time I came to see you guys play, myself and my pal Colin, what was you're all great, but your drummer is amazing. Aye, he's he is else. amazing. <laughs> so I really look forward to that. Um, and I think we will call it an end there. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you in 2017. Uh, cheers. Well, that was the year that was, folks. That was. Our best of 2016 in music. If you haven't already listened to part one of our end of the year podcast, then you can still do so by going over to Scott's Way and clicking on the links of whichever way you want to listen to it. iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, we have it all. I just want to say thank you to Chris and Wesley for joining us and taking time out to chat about their year in film, books and music. Um, I'd like to thank, as always, um, Ian Gregson, without whom, well, you wouldn't be listening to this right now, that's for sure. And I want to thank everyone who listens um, throughout the year and has listened to us over the many years. Um, It's greatly, greatly appreciated. And uh, we'll see you in 2017. Cheers.